Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. I am talking about the very source of reality, which is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love, the one true eternal God. Before I get into this message, I want to briefly have an introduction, especially for those that are new. I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a flipbook that you can go through. Actually, I wasn't planning to do this, but maybe I will just minimize myself right now and show you that flipbook if I can find it quickly here. Here we go. We're just going to go get that flake book right now and show it to you at ultimatemeaning.com. Here it is. And um, there is a flip book right here. You can blow it up to any size you want, like this, for example. And uh, go through it. And all of the print that is in red are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos from many fields of science and archaeology that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing here. And so I just wanted to point out to you that flipbook, and um, that confirms in an amazing way many things, like the Ark of the Covenant that was found quite a few years ago now by Ron Wyatt. And if you think that isn't fact, the evidence is pretty irrefutable because you can see them there right in Israel digging the tunnels with the team of people he had. And that was going on for years. And they did discover the Ark. The Israeli government's keeping it quiet for various reasons, which I explain in a book I've written also called Afterlife, incredible, irrefutable. But that's just up on Amazon. On the afterlife, however, this message is for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, <clears throat> as mentioned in John 17. I'm talking about the God that is described in the pre-Christ scriptures as well as the scriptures from Christ on to the book of Revelation. The God that is in the Old Testament referred to often as Lord God. Lord in the original Hebrew is Yahweh or Yehovah. Yahweh is the most accurate. And God is Elohim, meaning the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into all of this right now. I want to get into how I share the messages. But first of all, before I do that, I want to get the songs going really quickly in these messages that I'm doing, whereas before they've been way down eight minutes or seven or ten minutes into the introduction, if it's a long introduction. So first of all, I want to explain that everything I choose is by the casting of Lot before God, including the songs. And so, 
Now, with the songs, I, I should qualify that often I get songs that are cast by law before God that I cannot find YouTube music to with the print because I want it to be used on an, so that people can watch it on a YouTube video and have the words there in front of them so they can use it on a church congregation. So in that case, I often choose a different song. So the song I got today is not the one that's going to be played. In fact, I'm just trying to spot it right now. I think it's just over here. 1036. This one will not be um, the one I'm going to bring up right now to sing with, but it is one that is along with the theme that has been gotten from the casting of lots before God to get two chapters, which I then meditate on for a half an hour and then immediately speak so that I'm not prepared and I can allow God to speak by his spirit all the more through me because I'm not filled with my own mind of what I want to say. I will mention this song I got by a lot after we play this worship song here first that I received. So we're going to go to that worship song right now and play that worship song before God, which means I have to bring this back here and go, I believe, to this video. I hope it's the right one. Yes, it is. Here we are.
Oh, hallelujah. What a wonderful song to sing. We're, to sing, to wake the body of Christ up out of their sleep. To wake us up as individuals out of us, our sleep. Awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead when Christ shall give thee light. We are living in an hour when, as it says in Isaiah 60, gross darkness is covering the earth. And it says there in Isaiah 60 at the beginning, in the context of that hopelessness that is around the world, which is what we see happening right now, with all the top institutions around the world becoming more and more evident, that they are severely being corrupted because of the corruption that is creeping into people's lives that are at ease and that are in love with the world and that do not know God experientially, but only in their heads if they claim to know God. And so we are living in this time, and it says in Isaiah 60 there, Arise and shine, for your light is come, and the glory of God has risen upon you. And his glory will rise upon those that are his, that are walking in a genuine love relationship with God and with his people, that are walking in purity and in holiness. And so I want to share with you now this song that I received by the casting of Lot as to how it fits into this message that we will be going into that we receive by the casting of lot before God. Look to Jesus, weary one. Look and live. Look and live. Look at what the Lord has done. Look and live. See him lifted on the tree. Look and live. Look and live. Hear him say, look unto me. Look and live. Look, the Lord is lifted high. Look to him. He's ever nigh. Look and live. Why will ye die? Look and live. Verse 2, though unworthy, vile, unclean, look and live, look and live. Look away from self and sin. Look and live. Long by Satan's power enslaved, look and live, look and live. Look to me, ye shall be saved. Look and live. In the last verse, though you've wandered far away, look and live, look and live. Harden not your heart today. Look and live. Tis thy father's calls thee home. Look and live, look and live. Whosoever will may come. Look and live. And this verse does fit in with what we've received today as well, these, uh, this hymn, because there is a particular passage in Jeremiah that describes those that are so wounded and so corrupted that they seem to be incurable. And so we will go into that but let's first of all now um, just give you, I want to give you a bit more introduction for those that are new that I do these messages because the word of seeking to speak prophetically before God because it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When the early church came together, they sought to allow God to speak through them. And of course, that is particularly referring to that in this verse, although it's also genuinely referring to the fact at all times we should be seeking to facilitate speaking beyond ourselves and allowing God to speak through us to one another. And including singing songs while you're doing the dishes to one another, which is what we did in a house ministry I had many years ago with a whole team of people called the House of Prayer. Um, that was back in the 70s in the Jesus People Movement in Vancouver here. And I won't go into that, of course. 
So, speaking as the oracles of God is explained more clearly in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a pure heart, true love and reverence and humility for God and towards God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances coming by the spirit of God that are prophetic, as it says, the spirit of prophecy comes out of worship. And so I will seek in this message to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship that God's word and that his spirit and life might prevail to melt hearts and to touch their lives. And I believe that as I am speaking this word and you are watching, that even signs and wonders and miracles will go forth and touch people that are sick in their bodies or sick in their soul and heal them because the Spirit of God is coming through this message. And so don't be surprised if while you are watching this message and you have an affliction and you come to a place of genuine repentance in your heart that God will touch you and heal you. But if you're going to be deceiving yourselves and justifying yourselves and not awakened onto this hour for the purpose for which he has called you into this world to serve, then don't expect that you will receive a miracle unless somehow it's used to drive you to the place of full repentance. And so I am here to share with you today what I received by the casting of Lot before God, which is very much a practice that was used by the nation of Israel and also by the early church to choose the apostle to take Judas's place and also by powerful movements of revival such as the Moravian revival. As it says in Proverbs 16:33, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of Yahweh or the Lord in the English version. Okay, let us go to those two scriptures I received today by the casting of Lot. It's actually three. Because sometimes, <laughs> the first time I get it, I don't see the theme between it. And I know that I've cast lots with two different independent applications, as I always do, to get two chapters. But sometimes it's hard to perceive the theme, but when I get the third one, then I see it completely. Almost every time that happens. Now, not every time do I get have to do this, but when I can't fully perceive the theme, I get a third chapter, and it does really then become very clear what God is saying. And what God is saying through these three chapters that are received today by the casting of Lot is the requirement of repentance and godliness for unity and restoration and victory. And that is why that song that was so beautiful, that we sung so spiritually militant in a wonderful way to awaken us to be who he's called us to be, was sung. So first of all, I'm going to go to the fact that Nehemiah 7, I cast lots on Saturday and got the same chapter. So how come the Lord gave me again Nehemiah 7? What is there that is so significant in Nehemiah 7? And so maybe we should skip down if I have some of it. I didn't even put anything of Nehemiah 7 in here, but I can bring up the uh, Bible very quickly here that does have it. 
Uh, here is Nehemiah 7. And there's just certain things I want to point out in this. Now it came to pass when the wall was built and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed that I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah the ruler of the palace charge over Jerusalem for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. Those that were always chosen in leadership even by the apostles were those that feared God above more than the normal people, as well as those that were haters of covetousness. And these two things do stand out as well in the choice of leadership in the Old Testament very strongly. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot and while they stand by, and let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one and his watch and every one to be over against his house. Now, here's what happens here. It says in verse 5, And my God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first and found written therein. These are the children of the province that went up and out of the captivity. And then it's going to give a whole list of those that came out of the captivity to restore the temple and the walls of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem, obviously, as well over time. And so we go through that genealogy and then we come to a section here where it says, These sought their register among those that were reckoned by the genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore were they as polluted put from the priesthood. And the Tershethah said unto them, that's someone that is very consecrated and close to God, and I believe it's referring to Nehemiah, I saw a verse where it was referring to them. So the Tershethah said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest with Urim and Thummim. Now the Urim and Thummim was used to come before God and to receive direction from God. King David brought the ephod before him, and those stones, they would whether they changed color or how they did it exactly, but somehow the stones revealed certain colors or stood out or started to shine, and they would ask a question before God, should I go up to battle or not, and then the stone would shine or whatever would happen there. And so they, these people are coming before Nehemiah, and, the, and he's asking, him, is this person truly of the lineage, or is he a fake? And the Urim and Thummim would reveal what it is. And so they finally had all of the people that were genuine and pure and part, truly part of God's purpose, brought together in unity. <clears throat> this is when the walls were finished. So the priests and the Levites and the porters and the singers and some of the people and the Nethanims and all Israel dwelt in their cities and when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now, if you go over to the next chapter, which I have here in this that I've pasted in, it then says this, right after all of that, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel. 
And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And of course, then there's this great feast of tabernacles, a great feast as was never celebrated for a long time since the days, I believe, of Joshua when they came in to the land. This passage in Nehemiah 7 is about God's people persevering and they had to really persevere through great spiritual warfare for those walls to be built. The enemy was going to try to slaughter them and did try to slaughter them, but they knew about it before they could manage to attempt an attack and then put up their guards and at the same time were building. That's a hardship when you're doing that all day. You can't even have a shower. You have to have people guard while you go and wash your clothes and so on. That was what was going on there. This is after the temple was built. All of these things, tremendous opposition, but eventually the people of God are brought together as one man. And God in these last days wants his people in each community and city upon the earth to become his Jerusalem and have their spiritual temple restored and their spiritual wall of their body of believers and of the churches in their city or community brought into this unity where we are as one man and fulfill John 17 in every possible aspect of unity that God desires. And he desires not just unity in one aspect, but in many aspects, with the churches being united within the city, with each local assembly coming into a tremendous unity under Christ. That is why it says... Uh, that is why I've written, pardon me, I'm, a book called God Headship in Body Invasion, which you can get on Amazon. That book is about 250 some odd pages. And it has in it all that you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from fully inhabiting your local assembly so that you, as they did in the early church, will pray together with one heart and with one mind and with one voice and God will hear your cry because you are truly gathered together not in your own interests, your own motives, but in only the name of God which is Yahweh, who is the very ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, with total pure motives of love and desire for God's love to conquer your community and your city and your nation and his glory to be returned upon this earth. And God is calling us as his people to wake up and to become one man. But one of the things that God is going to do in order to bring that unity is he's going to begin to expose corruption in the church as never before. People that claim to be Christians in their heart, but outwardly, or but inwardly, they love the world. You could never tell. They look like they're a normal Christian. They're zealous for the things of, seemingly zealous for the things of God and everything else. But where is their heart? Is their heart truly in love with God? It says in the New Testament, that they went out from us because they were not of 
us. There comes a time where the presence of God among God's people becomes so strong that it exposes the darkness among them so that those people that are not of God leave because they're offended because they are being reproved by the light that is around them. And so either these people that want to hold on to the world and somehow claim that they are believers repent and get right with God or God will cause them to be removed from the congregation. That is where things are headed. Not by some cultish pyramid structure. That is contrary to the kingdom of God. There is, has been movements in the church that is formed like a pyramid, a structure where you're accountable to this person, this person's accountable to you, and so on. That was in the shepherding movement that I saw take over the charismatic movement back in the late 70s. And God warned me about it in a dream, and I can't go into that. It was a dream where everyone was standing like a pyramid on top of each other, and I could see the leaders, and there was a dark cloud round around. And in the dream, it said, do not continue in this assembly. Go there. And I went to the other assembly, which turned out at that time to be a particular church. I don't think it would help to maybe mention all of that right now, although the people that were in that shepherding movement, when I was led back to that church building about 23 or more years later, when I walked in, the very thing the leader was talking about is how God delivered them from the shepherding movement that was in bondage because God led me in his time back to that congregation, which is in Vancouver here, that was the center of the charismatic movement at that time. There are people that must be confirmed, just like this Urim and Thummim, revealed who were those that were truly of the house of God and those who were not of the house of of God. And so I want to go on here, continue to read, so that one can have an understanding of what God is saying by his spirit to the body of Christ. I received Jeremiah chapter 8. Now Jeremiah chapter 8 is about God's anger and judgment upon the children of Israel because they are in such corruption and such apostasy. And so it says this in verse 5 to 7, Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. Hearkened. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. Yea, the stork and the heaven knoweth her appointed times, and the turtle and the crane and the swallow observe the time of their coming, but my people know not the judgment of the Lord. I have actually heard pastors in the past say that God is not a God of judgment when there's a verse that actually says that in Isaiah. In fact, I had never planned to turn to Isaiah 33, but I think I will, because Isaiah 33 is a very powerful scripture, a chapter of what will happen in the end days and also on the fear of God and other things. And so I want to quickly turn here 
to Isaiah 33. We'll turn there right now to Isaiah 33. There's Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. I just want to read what God gives here in this chapter of Isaiah 33. Certain things are in here that are very significant. But the part I want to read is a little further down. I will point out that verse 6 is a very powerful verse. It said, well, we'll start at verse 5. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. This is speaking of the Messiah. The, the treasure of the Messiah is who is Jesus Christ, is the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the secret of abiding in total oneness with God. And Christ, of course, is fully God manifest in the flesh, and so he is always reciprocating the Father, always reciprocating in awe of the Father, loving the Father, depending on the Father, delighting in the Father, the genuine fear of God, which is not something I'm going to go into here, which is an in-depth teaching that I have. But we go on in this passage here, and um, it says this. This is about Christ when he returns and stands on the Mount of Olives and begins to set up his presence and glory upon the earth for a reign of a thousand years. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be as the burnings of lime. As the thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. Hear ye that are afar off. Now remember, it says here, your breath as fire shall devour you. When the glory of God fills the earth, and his knowledge covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, those that breathe the air that are wicked will literally be devoured by the fire of God's burning, consuming love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. Hear ye that are afar off what I have done, and ye that are near acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of the rocks. Bread shall be given him, and his waters shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. So anyhow, that's something I didn't plan to read. It's in this message. So fearfulness will surprise the hypocrites. And here we are having a state where there are those that are in this terrible, terrible state. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? 
Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Remember the song that we got by the casting of the lot? It was about those that were feeling so vile and unworthy and helpless. And the song says, look unto me and live. And that's what God is calling you, brothers and sisters. If you're finding a struggle with sin, I don't want to wrongly condemn you. I want to encourage you. Look unto Christ. He has the strength. It's not a matter of our own righteousness to overcome sin, of our own effort to overcome sin. It's a matter of not hiding our weakness before God, but it being transparent out of the fear of God and great humility before him and honesty and transparency and confessing our sins unto him and saying, God, I don't have the strength over this. Have mercy on me. Take this desire away. Pray for God to take the desire away. Pray in that way and God will deliver you. He will heal the wound that is in your soul that is grasping like a black hole in outer space to find fulfillment in what is a lying vanity. And it says in the word of God, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. So you need to repent and turn from observing lying vanities unto him that wants you to come to him as you are in true repentance. The only way you can come to Christ as you are, as if you have a heart that is in repentance. Because you're not really coming to God if you don't have a heart of repentance. And so we go on here. And I want to go to Psalms 101. And I pasted this whole psalm in here because it's just eight verses. But it again is revealing what God is wanting. He's wanting godliness. This passage, as I said, the theme of these passages here is that God is calling his people to repent, to genuine repentance and to godliness to bring forth his temple that will, he can inhabit as an individual and corporately in your assembly. We are to be as living stones that are built together as an habitation of God through the Spirit that he may fully come down in our midst in all of his glory and majesty and power, of all of his loving kindness that's so much better than life itself, than all the titillating things that the devil puts in front of certain people that they get carried away and putting all their time and energy into instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we read a Psalm of David, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way, O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. God called Abraham to walk before him and be perfect. God is calling us to be nothing less than walking before him with a circumcised heart, circumspectly, so that we walk 
in the fullness of his presence and glory and know the abundance of an overcoming life that is far more fulfilling than the lies of the enemy that tries to get you to become like a black hole that pulls everything into yourself and causes the hurt of others around you because of the hell contagious state that is in your being that you are allowing god wants to swallow up all of that corruption and replace it with wholeness and the only thing that brings wholeness is true holiness because true holiness is not a negative thing it is a beautiful thing because it destroys corruption and allows you to become whole in your inner being. It says of Israel, they have hewn out for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. Let us not be those that have our soul filled with cracks that do not allow the fullness of God's indwelling in our being because we are being hypocrites and deceiving ourselves and not coming before him and one another in humility. We are to share one another's faults. We are to confess our sins to God and also to be those that humble ourselves not only before God, but before one another in great reverence and respect, to learn to wash, as it were, one another's feet, spiritually speaking, and it's a good practice literally as well, or polish your shoes if you're worried about losing the nail, the paint off your nail, young lady. Um, you know, we'll polish your shoes then. But let us learn to even go to those that have hurt us and offended us and tell them, you're created in the image of God and I see this wonderful thing in you, that wonderful thing, and I want you to know I love you and I'm praying that God will bless you. And yes, you offended me in, but in this area, but you know what? Um, before I share that fault, I, before you would share something like that, you should always share your faults first and tell them to pray for you. Then you pray and tell them that you would like to see God have a greater blessing in their lives and that you were hurt about this. And maybe then you can win them. And if they're proud and they're not willing to repent, well, to still love them. Either they will harden their heart and God will cause them to leave. The congregation, if they refuse to walk in the light as he is in the light, for if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we go on reading here. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. In other words, people that turn away from God, a forward heart or a deceptive heart shall depart from me. I will know I will not know a wicked person. And you know, that is something that many of us are not willing to do. Because it's very hard. We don't want to hurt people, and I don't want to hurt people. I'm really weak that way, too. I know people, they're just, their lives aren't adding up. They say they're Christians, but they're doing the opposite. The Word of God says in Ephesians, that if anyone calls himself a brother and they're a drunkard, and I forget what all the other things are, a reviler or covetous and so on, not even to eat with them because you're living, you're a hypocrite. You're saying you're this and you're, you like listening to all these, you, you might listen all day to all kinds of wonderful prophets and, and all of this. Oh, so what? So did King Herod delight in listening to John the Baptist. 
but he was compromised in his heart with corruption to the point that when that lady danced before him, he cut off John the Baptist's head. So what? You go around and you talk about all the wonderful prophets you know and all the ministry you hear and, oh, you're this and this, but in your heart, you don't love your brothers and sisters. You don't respect them. You need to repent. All you have to do is repent and humble yourselves and you'll be healed in your soul. But what's amazing is that some of these people never repent. They don't seem to even have a desire to. God is coming to a place where he's going to bring judgment in the house of God. And the hypocrites that are in Zion are going to be surprised because of the glory that comes in the midst will not tolerate that corruption anymore. I will not know a wicked person Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look, in other words, proud, and a proud heart will not, will not I suffer. So I'm not supposed to even know a wicked person. So what if a Christian claims, someone claims to be a Christian, yet they're living in a way that is just so wrong? I shouldn't really be even knowing them. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he that shall, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. There are people that are very deceitful. I have been a believer for many years, and I know I've experienced a lot of this I've experienced a lot of people that call themselves Christians and they go to the meetings and you'd think they're the same as everyone else. They speak in tongues and so on. I went over to this guy's house. This is true. Years ago. And there was magazines literally plowed up as high as my shoulders everywhere where you could hardly walk. All pornographic. And I said, why are you looking at all these pornographic? His whole living room was solid magazines where there was no place to walk with pornographic magazines. And he was in the Pentecostal church, raising his hand, speaking in tongues. I'll tell you, the day is coming when God will not tolerate that. The judgment of God is going to fall on such people if they do not repent. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Man, I have, I hate to say it, but right now there's someone in my life claims to be a Christian and lies all the time, falsely accusing me of things that are totally false. I fear for that person. I really love them and I'm praying with all my heart. They repent. I can't understand it. I think with them it's a mental problem, but still they should know better. That doesn't give them an excuse to lie, tell lies behind my back to other people that aren't true, that I was stealing from them and so on when I haven't done any such thing. I've never stole from anyone in my life. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. 
So God is calling his people. This psalm is a psalm calling God's people to be conformed to godliness. And what is godliness? It is conformity to the being of God's love. To hate what love hates with the intensity that love hates what is contrary to love with. To love what is love with the intensity that love loves what is genuine love with the same intensity. It is conformity to the being of God. Godliness is being conformed so that you are in tune with God and are in such a place with him that it says, as it says in the scripture, thou hast hated on, on wickedness and loved righteousness, therefore God, even thy God, referring to Christ, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. God's anointing is strong on those that are in a godly walk with him in these last days. His presence will begin to shine brightly through them. So God is calling us as his people in this hour to come to this place of true intimate unity with him in our individual walk and with one another so that we truly love one another fervently with a pure heart. And here I had two people that call themselves Christians this week come over to me with a woman that's obviously not, has some kind of a schizophrenic problem and accuse me of stealing from her. And the other person was believing her and saying, oh, we're going to bring this before the church. Really, I don't, don't care what you do because I know I'm not in sin and that I haven't done any such thing. But this is the kind of attacks that sometimes can happen. Do I love those two people? I do. Do I hold offense towards them? No, I choose to forgive them, but I fear for the one particular one that has some mental problems. I fear for them because they think they're going to go to heaven. I hope and pray it's true somehow that it's true. But when I don't see any repentance, I don't see how that can happen. So I'm praying. I'm praying that God's people will repent and that they will turn back to him with all their heart in these last days and that we will come into a unity as never before in the body of Christ. Thank you for listening to this message. I want to again point out that I have a website at loverealize.com where you can watch this message as well as that I'm on Substack at davidjamesthompson.substack.com but Thompson is spelt without a P. So um, you can go to loverealize.com or ultimatemeaning.com and you can purchase my books on Amazon, the God, Headship, and Body Invasion book or the book on the afterlife, which is afterlife, incredible, irrefutable. Thank you for listening to this message.